Another interesting week in the world. Twitter, <laughs> Twitter is now X. That's the one that is probably like the most confusing headline I've seen over the last few months. Like, obviously, Elon has this obsession with the letter X, but I don't know. Like, for the life of me, I can't understand why you would buy a company and then just completely take away like like Twitter and tweet was like it was like Kleenex. It was like the market leader in this space. And then the second you have a competitor in threads, so you're just like, all right, we're going to just throw it all away. Yeah. And the interesting thing about threads is that uh, ever, they had a, hot, a lot of hoopla when it, it started, but usage rate within a week declined by, by 50%. So I don't, know, I don't know where we stand in the world of uh, short form uh, communication amongst people if, if it's going to be X. Doesn't, doesn't Elon, didn't he name his son? Uh, X. I think so. I, I mean, he's named his kids all sorts of letters and numbers and yeah. symbols. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I think more and more. I mean, this is setting up for a uh, a, a a billion dollar payday for both Elon and uh, and and Zuck if they get in the ring together. I think Zuck is gonna. I think Zuck has the edge, but uh, I think I think this is what they're both they're both gearing toward is setting that up. Yeah, I think Zuck Zuck definitely has the edge, bro. Like, there's no chance Elon is a better fighter than Zuck. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, that fight would be able to save Elon financially. <laughs> they said, um, I think it was like George St. Pierre, who was like, uh, he, he was with Elon. Um, and they were training together too. And he was like, Elon's just like really strong. And I was like, I get it. You're trying to hype him. But like, nobody thinks Elon, like everyone saw the photos of Zuck after his jujitsu tournament. Like dude's like rip, man. Like there's no chance. Like Elon's going to get to that level in what? Six months. Yeah. His best, his best chance is pulling out one of his flamethrowers. <laughs> He's been doing it for years too. If it was like a, if it was like a, you know, weapons allowed, fuck. <laughs> I would definitely go Elon. <laughs> oh man, we'll, we'll we'll see how that plays out. But just interesting times. I mean, one of the more interesting stories that popped up um, over the past week um, has been the sport of soccer. A lot going on in that world. Obviously, Messi's debut um, at Inter Miami went as as storybook as it possibly could, hitting the game winning goal on a free kick. Uh, then you have the Women's World Cup uh, starting in full force um, this past weekend. And then yesterday, the most shocking and eye-popping story is that uh, Saudi soccer club Al-Hilal has offered about $1.1 billion total for the services, the unrestricted services of uh, Kalam Mbappe for one season. Uh, so it would be about a $350 million or so transfer fee to PSG and a $700 million salary uh, for one-year salary for uh, Mbappe. 
And then at the end of the year, there are no restrictions on his movement. He can then go to Real Madrid on his own um, without any transfer fee. So this is a pretty shocking deal because it makes no financial sense at all. Um, and kind of (laughs) flips, flips the entire soccer world upside down. It's pretty fascinating what's happening with the Saudi uh, sovereign wealth fund overall. And the way that they are uh, trying to control um, and, and exercise control over um, the sporting world. I mean, it's, it's one of the more interesting things that's happening also is Manchester United's for sale uh, as well. And a local billionaire who's worth 16 billion has no chance going up against the Saudi <laughs> sovereign wealth fund. Uh, they literally have unlimited money. The questions really around this are, one, is it worth it? Are they going to get the value out of this for a one-year rental? How appealing is it? I mean, obviously, they're doing this because it's going to be very difficult to get players uh, to come to Saudi Arabia, live there with kind of the complete difference in lifestyle um, of living in in a country. It's not like Dubai. It's very much different. very strict laws, very strict laws for the women, um, and their families as well. Um, do you think that this strategy that they're employing can, can, can actually pay long-term dividends or is this just a, a, a a rich country who's kind of seeing the writing on the wall, um, that the oil wealth, the years of oil wealth, maybe running dry in the next 20, 30 years and looking for alternative investments. What, what is your kind of thoughts on this? We obviously know about live golf as well, but it's eye popping and unbelievable. The type of money that they're throwing around. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think one of the things that, that I think about a lot too, is like this, this category of wealth and specifically people from the middle East have in large part been excluded from major sports ownership in the West, whether it's Europe or, or in the States. And I think like, I, I, I don't know why that's the case. I don't know if, if they haven't wanted to, or, you know, if there was like, you know, just a desire. Cause like, I know that the, there's the ownership circles and they have to vote to allow new owners and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if there were business reasons for it or whatever the case may be. But I think we saw it with Live Golf. They said, all right, like we want more sports over here. The, the Middle East, like I, I've seen over the last five years, and you've seen it too in, in our work, like the rapid, rapid rise of their interest in sports, but also the dollars that they were throwing into the ecosystem. I, it just makes me wonder, bro, like is, is the future that, you know, most sports teams are owned by the Middle East? Like, do they just do this to be disruptive until a point where they get a seat at the table? Yeah, I mean, the reality of this is, and I brought up the Manchester United thing, is there's no way that if they made an equal bid that they would be the group that's chosen, right? They would chose somebody local, choose somebody local. And I think a lot of this comes to historical, comes down to historical fears um, that the West has about uh, Islamic culture and the Middle East in general that's been propagated Um um, for, 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 for many years. And I think the reality of any large nation that has power is there are some, some things within their country and within their laws, um, that people question, 
right? Um, whether it's civil rights, we have those issues here in the United States. They have those issues in Russia. They have these issues in China. But it seems like there's just a specific Western fear of of Islam um, and that, you know, whether fairly or unfairly, um, is propagated, right? The culture is very different. There's no doubt about that. There definitely are significant restrictions on women in some of these, in some of these countries, but also there's always a flip side to it too, in terms of if you go to these countries, part of the reason that it there, there's a flip side to that, right? Women are treated with the utmost respect in those countries, uh, as well. Um, and, and it's, I don't know if it's, if these political questions matter, but obviously that's driving what these prices are. And I think countries like Saudi Arabia kind of are like, you know what, you know, we've saved our money. We've been much smarter with, with what we're doing. And we have the capital now to kind of take over the world, you know, and you've seen this also, Saudi Arabia has been distancing itself uh, a little bit from its, its ties to the U S. So I think there is some underlying geopolitical angle here too, but I think more than anything, it's showcasing to the world that, Hey, you know, while you guys have been asleep at the wheel, um, we've, we've built up a lot of resources, um, and we have the ability to kind of make these type of power moves. Um, and everybody, the whole old saying, everybody has a price. They're really playing that game, you know? And the question is whether or not it can work or not. Yeah. yeah. And I would also say like, I think live golf was a massive success, um, especially from a fan perspective, because there's nothing compelling to me about a PGA tournament. And I know there's a bunch of people who, you know, feel the opposite of that. But, you know, for every person that wants to go to a PGA tournament and sit there quietly and, you know, feel feel like, you know, they're in an exclusive club because they get to be at the golf course that day. There's 10 people who want to be at a fun, engaging atmosphere with music that, you know, is more reflective of what golf actually is like. And if you think about most golfers, most golfers are driving around the golf course with a Bluetooth speaker these days. It's not, it's not the same sport that it was 100 years ago. And uh, I think that the, the format of presentation of that game and the change in structure, like putting players on salaries where they're not as incentivized for winning like, like they are in the PGA, but it's really more about creating a great fan experience. Like That's a more engaging version of that sport overall. So, you know... I don't know. I don't know what room there is when you take the best player in the world at something like an Mbappe, like you're talking something different because there's no chance he's going to be able to play at his true potential and peak against subpar competition. So that that's the real question is, you know, what's what's going to happen when he's playing over there? Is he going to get worse? You know, I have no idea how this experiment will play out in the sport of soccer specifically, but I think the golf experiment was a massive success. So I am curious to see if they'll bring some sort of like innovation to the way that, you know, soccer is being presented with Mbappe over there. Yeah. I mean, and then also what are they going to do? Because the biggest adjustment, because Messi was offered a similar deal and turned it down and took significantly less to go to inner Miami. And, you know, the MLS 
you know, no knock against our, our, our soccer league here in the United States, but you saw it in the first match. These guys have no chance against the talent at the level of Messi um, in his prime. But what was attractive to him was the lifestyle at this phase in his life for him and his family in Miami versus Saudi Arabia. And he's made more than enough money where the money wasn't tempting enough. And so that's an interesting case in this situation. You're dealing with an Mbappe who is very young, still has most of his career uh, to play. It seems like if you can get uh, with, with the ability to come here for a year, play for one season, secure his family and his generations um, for the rest of his life, and then free himself up to play wherever he wants to play um, and, and be able to take a salaries, even a reduced salary to make the strong in Real Madrid stronger. I mean, that's the question that I have about this deal is that one year of fanfare you're going to get from having this guy there. Um, like they did with Cristiano Ronaldo. Is it really going, because what their game plan is, is to make this a powerful league on, on par with the EPL. Um, and there is an opportunity here because the EPL is the only one that's still strong. Um, the Italian league, the Spanish leagues are down um, overall. And, you know, the German league also, those are kind of the, the three powerhouses. You have some things happening in, in France, but it's just PSG. <laughs> There's nobody else in France that's really competitive either. So there is an opportunity here, but I don't see how renting this guy for one year, paying him this much money, knowing he's going to leave and play for Real next year. I don't see how this particular chess move makes sense in the large scheme and the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Now I'll also say this, like we both know how much money can be generated off of an athlete. Like they talk about LeBron's impact in Cleveland. It had a billion dollar impact to that city just in the couple of years. He was back there after his Miami stint. I mean, if Mbappe is able to do Mbappe's a bigger athlete than LeBron worldwide. You know what I mean? Like if their jersey sales, if you know anything that they do with him is able to have the kind of impact that you know we know he has, they could easily make multiple billions off of just his name, image, likeness, just being able to do the uh, jerseys, have him endorse the league, have him endorse different brands, products, even maybe on tourism, you know? Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do with broadcasting. That's that's obviously the biggest piece because I can't catch a Cristiano Ronaldo match anywhere. I've, I've tried to look. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen there, but I do think that this is more of a marketing a marketing expense, obviously they, how they've used Cristiano to promote, uh, Saudi Arabia, promote tourism, promote all of those things, um, to attract other folks to come to the country. I don't know if it's working or not because they just spent a bunch of money on having the world cup there and pretty much, um, from everything that that's come back, um, it has been, it was one of the worst fan experiences, um, of any world cup. Now I'm hearing that from, from folks who went out there, um, building out an entire, um, world cup is different than bringing in one person and having them be a figurehead, but I'm sure they'll, they'll get some ROI on it. Um, but it's just interesting to see, see all of this play out, um, and see that how much value these guys actually hold versus the actual value, um, that traditionally they've been paid. I think this is really painting a picture of the disparity in real market value versus what actually um, 
these guys are being compensated no matter how high the number is. Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, one other headline that uh, happened in sports um, is uh, Bronny James just this week had a cardiac arrest during basketball practice at USC. Uh, very scary headline. You never want to see this happen to anybody. He's in stable condition after that. Um, but just just a worry. You mentioned it when we were talking pre-pod V about Shaq's son and the same kind of thing happening. I remember Isaiah Austin, um, who was going into the NBA draft and was ineligible because he had a heart condition, had a similar kind of thing happen. Um, man, like, I hope we get to see Bronny play, dude. I really hope he doesn't have anything, you know, going on deeper that's that's going to stop him here. Yeah, the, the, the problem with a scenario like this in the society we live in now is that there's going to be a lot of speculation without... Um, Without research, people are going to use this again to paint whatever propaganda or support whatever propaganda they support, whether whether it's, you know, because of this, it's because of this. The truth is none of us know this is a private health matter. Um, this is a 17-year-old kid, regardless of the fact that he is LeBron James' son. Hopefully, um, the world respects respects their privacy, which I doubt it will, respects their privacy and doesn't turn this into something more than what it is, which is a family um, dealing with a major health issue with their son. You hope for the best because you can tell that basketball is something he's very passionate about. Hopefully he's able to make a full recovery uh, and continue to do uh, what he loves, um, because regardless of what your financial situation is or any of that, when the thing that you want to do is taken away from you, it can, it can lead to a very, very unhappy, uh, unhappy time. And it takes a lot of work to get through. So just hoping that this isn't the end for his career. The kids put in a lot of work, uh, to get to where he's at. And it would be very unfortunate if this is the reason that his career, um, comes to an end. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I agree with you completely. I feel like for me this year, there's two, there's two teams I want to watch. I want to watch, uh, at USC and I want to watch Ohio State football. And that's really all I care about in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it will be it'll be it's definitely going to be an interesting uh interesting season in the uh the college football uh and college sports landscape. Um definitely college basketball specifically needs this badly because uh it's been struggling the last few years um to get eyeballs. The quality of the game itself has gone down. Uh so I'm hoping that, that um that Bronny at USC and some of these other kids that are at um at universities bring some bring some excitement, enthusiasm uh, back to the game. I also hope this kid uh, Cooper Flag decides to play collegiate basketball as well. It's a it's an interesting era with the uh, with the college basketball product in general. I I agree, it suffered a lot. The, the whole nature of the game is a very different product from the NBA. And I even heard Gilbert Arena saying this. He was like, I would never have, if I had a kid who wanted to go to the NBA, I would never have him play college. He's like, high school is closer to the NBA in play style than college is. And I just think like, it makes sense, obviously, because in college you have, I think, a more uniform level of athlete that you're putting into your system. And so it, it creates different types of systems than um, something like the NBA or high school where you have greater disparities in talents. 
but uh, yeah, college basketball needs needs something, needs some juice. It definitely does. It definitely does. I mean, um, you know, just just wishing best the best for uh, uh, LeBron James, Bronny James, um, and the entire family. Hopefully that that situation resolves itself. It's got to be a scary experience overall, um, but very. Luckily, it happened in a situation at practice where he was able to get immediate medical care, and the news so far has been positive that he is out of ICU and in um, in, uh, in in back 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 to back to being in shape. So we'll see we'll see how this all plays out. Um, scary, scary, scary times. Um, yeah, you know. Speaking of sp- scary times. Uh, Transitioning to this uh, this interesting story of um, Ron DeSantis, uh, who's becoming more and more of a caricature. You know, it seemed like two years ago people really were taking this guy seriously, but now he seems to be turning into more of a Ted Cruz-like character overall, even within uh, the Republican Party as his presidential campaign has not been able to take footing. Um, but it seems like all of his moves are geared, and this is this is kind of the disgusting thing that's happening with politics, is that more and more these guys are becoming blatant in terms of making stances and doing things specifically to cater to a subset of voters that they know they need to continue to win elections. And the most recent thing is Ron DeSantis. I can't, this one's comical, honestly, Uh, the Disney thing, all the other things. Okay. There's there, but he came out and they're adjusting the curriculum in middle schools in Florida to teach that, um, many black people benefited from slavery because they learned unique skills that they were then able to apply post-slavery. Um, uh, yes, that's exactly what is being taught. There's no, there's no like political slant here. There's nothing like this is extremely shocking and just raises the question again of like what's happening in our country. Yeah. I was saying this, uh, I was saying this the other day. Uh, I think that, We've all been tricked that there's two sides, left and right, but there's really two sides. It's middle and outside. Yeah. If you go to the outside, it's ludicrous, <laughs> the conversations that are happening. If you're in the middle, you're just like, what are we talking about? Can we just live our lives like normal people? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's it, it, the type of things that we hear are, are, are fairly shocking. And this one... This one is one of the more interesting ones. I was like, no, this is just, this can't be true. <laughs> then he did an actual interview where he was justifying the position. And yeah, I'm like, I I'm sitting here and I'm going, yes, you know, you know who else are, um, are carpenters? People who actually want to be carpenters. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a goofy, it's a goofy, I feel like era that we're in right now, because I think like people people are are getting the clicks from like this anti-woke kind of messaging yep. and it's resonating. And I think like, this is also like the downside of being maybe too data driven and like listening too much to your audience is cause like, if you keep going deeper and deeper, like, yeah, you're getting the clicks, the data's indicating that the message is resonating, but it's only going to lead you to extremism. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really starting to believe that we should move toward, um, toward, 
AI-generated Congress, AI-generated uh, Senate, <laughs> AI-generated Supreme Court, and AI-generated President, because at least we can just tell them to be reasonable. We can program the Congress new- GPT. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would be more effective than all of the people that we have. Yes, a hundred percent. And then we wouldn't have to deal with these idiots talking to us all the time. They would just be working. Yeah, it's interesting to see DeSantis make a choice like this because, I mean, he he was the second runner on the Republican side, and he's just been tanking. He's been tanking his campaign for the last couple months and we see you know, someone like Vivek Ramaswamy who's in third right now on that side like gaining momentum gaining steam getting the cosign from Trump as well I mean it's a different race it's a different race than I thought it was going to be to be honest with you yeah I mean I never really understood the DeSantis thing I thought he should stay in kind of his Florida base with all the kind of rural uneducated voters there. They were going to continue to support support him. But when you go to a national platform, um, you've got to adjust and whoever's studying his data clearly isn't understanding that when you when you look at the broad scope of the United States, you have to um, position yourself differently. You know, this is the same thing as terms of why you know, these, these Texas Republican senators, um, Rubio and, and Cruz could not succeed when it came to running for president either is because those positions that you hold in, in, in deeply red, deeply red territories in Florida and deeply, a deeply red state like Texas, they don't resonate nationally. Yeah. What's interesting to me is that I've also seen, um, a lot more media, speaking negatively about Biden, um, specifically like on CNN and stuff. Like I see it when I'm at the gym and I was surprised to see a lot more kind of negative Biden coverage coming from media platforms like CNN. And I'm just really curious, number one, why they're doing that from a strategic standpoint. And then number two, like what, what is going to happen on the democratic side of this upcoming election? Like, do you think that they'll run Biden again, or do you think that they're positioning to have somebody else kind of come in and take the spotlight? I mean, realistically, when you when you ignore all the noise of the Biden presidency, of like the superficial noise, and you focus on the things that matter, and this is what I care about more than anything else, is that the economy is holding up much better um, than any other economy in the world right now. Um, if you look at what's happening in the stock market, if, if you look at a reflection um, from where we were at, at um, to where we're at now, we're showing growth. GDP growth is good. So I think that it's very important to vote pragmatically in this election, not emotionally based on who you like and who you don't like. One thing that I will say so far about Biden from an economic standpoint he has he has put both conservative leaning folks um, at at the top of the Fed. Then he has Janet Yellen. So there's balance. He's really taken a balanced approach in terms of the people he's put into place on the economic side. And if you look at 
where the United States is relative to the rest of the world post-COVID, including China, um, including other markets, you have to say, you have to give credit where credit is due. The guy definitely doesn't know where he's at at times, but clearly has returned uh, government in terms of the economy to some form of normalcy and put some adults in the room on that side that's really helped uh, America stabilize in a way that's much better. And it would be very surprising to see Biden, it doesn't happen when the economy is growing and doing well for an in, incumbent president to be ousted. That doesn't, yeah. that doesn't usually happen. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you overall. Like the, the performance has been a lot better than I think a lot of people expected from Biden and from the administration that he's put in place. And people are doing their jobs. Yeah, people are doing their jobs, and it you know that's it's nice to see that. Um, when it comes to the election, I I almost feel like those are unrelated topics. You know what I mean? Like performance, like whether the numbers support it or whether people's sentiments support it. It I feel like it just has nothing to do with elections these days. No, I mean, it definitely doesn't. And that's the, the sad state of affairs. It's like we don't evaluate anyone based on their actual job performance. We evaluate them based on what we think of them and whether we like them or not, you know. And it's like, yes, Biden is an, a 79-year-old man. He's going to do some weird things, you know. Anybody who has a parent or a grandparent who's in their mid to late 70s or early 80s, they do some odd things every now and again. You know what I mean? So, and not all of them have Secret Service agents to help them out when they make those, those mistakes. No, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely going to be interesting. I think, I think I agree with you in terms of the overall, the picture that the data is, is painting. But I just, I, I have a lot of trouble seeing the majority of the Amer- American public voting for Biden again. I just, I I don't really see that as a realistic outcome for whatever reason. And maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah. I mean, the biggest, the biggest challenge here is that the Republican party continues to push Donald Trump for it. He, they cannot have anyone unseat this guy. Um, and and, and despite what they've tried too, like the last year and a half, like they, they really tried to like get him out of the narrative. Yeah. And if he is the candidate, I don't see enough of America, uh, supporting his candidacy, candidacy just because of how badly his image has been tarnished. Because just as you were saying, CNN has been taking more of a negative Biden approach. It seems like right-wing media has taken a very deliberate approach uh, to also um, pushing against the Trump narrative as well. Yeah, I, I think so as well. I, I tend to support in this election Vivek for you know many reasons, but... Um, I, I'm just so curious, bro. Like, we have no idea how it's going to play out. There's still like a year left, you know, so a year and a half left. So, you know, we have a lot of time here. But I mean, I think we've seen in recent years, like the elections are like Super Bowls these days. Yeah. Like growing up, like it felt like voting. Voting was like, you know, put on your flag pin. Like it was like your patriotic duty. It was like dope. Like this is cool. And now it's like, the biggest reality show that we all vote on like American Idol type of situation that we build up to for four years, right? Like right after it happens, we're like, all right, what's going to happen next election? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I mean, traditional conservative voters, you know, traditional older voters who grew up in in realistic times, uh, I think they're going to look, they vote based on things like the economy and the bottom line. And I think that that's where Biden probably has uh, a strength, because if you look at the middle middle America voters who are not too far left or not too far right, they can vote either way and they generally will vote either way. And if the economy continues to to sustain the way that it has, um, the the educated voter is, is going to support that. I remember, and it's always funny when you, when this happens, because the same thing happened at the end of Obama's first term when we were in a phase of economic prosperity, but the propaganda kind of pushed that, you know, Obama, Obama and the Democrats were ruining the economy, higher taxes, higher this, higher that. I just look at things and say, look, just, just evaluate things based on the results if you can, because at the end of the day, what, what this country is about more than anything is what, how do you put your, yourself and your family in the best position, um, to, to earn a decent living and save a decent amount of money. And whichever candidate gives you that option um, is probably who should be in the, in the front seat. And it doesn't mean that just because the economy is doing well and the stock market's doing well, that that applies to you and your, your exact situation or circumstance um, in your life. But it, it's just very helpful for to to take these things seriously and look at things through the bigger picture and lens of what's actually important um, for me, my family, and myself, not not what somebody says or someone's opinion on some irrelevant topic. Yeah. Dude, you, um, you said it last week. I think we talked about this when we were talking about the unemployment numbers, yep. but there's the, unpl- the unemployment numbers are so low. Some, and we're still seeing layoffs like in tech and stuff. Right. So it's like, for me, something feels a little bit off. It's like I'm seeing money moving around like almost to the degree of like peak economy prior to COVID. You know what I mean? Like I'm seeing people spend on a lot of stuff in their personal lives. And it's like, you know, I heard this thing like when people are buying Lamborghinis, like run for the hills, like <laughs> don't be don't be spending your money. And it's like, I I can't help but have this strange feeling that yes the numbers indicate a certain certain story but it never really felt like we we corrected as a as a market. Well, I mean, the the greatest thing about the unemployment numbers is this, right? It only measures people who are actually seeking in seeking employment. Right. And I think a big part of this is I, you know, because we've had this conversation as I'm thinking about this, I'm really thinking about the generation of 30 and under who they're not looking at traditional careers anymore. They're not seeking employment. They're living with their parents and they're living a, a, this kind of laissez-faire lifestyle, which is saving doesn't matter. I'll save when I hit 30 or I'll save when I hit 40 right now is a time for me to live my life. You know what I mean? And I think you see, when you see the money moving around, it's almost all the older generation that has all the money saved to be able to invest and make moves. Because especially with interest rates where they're at, um, you know, lending tightening uh, to the degree that it's tightened, I think we're, we're in for a very interesting next 10 to 20 years when these folks, I think the younger generation doesn't realize that 
you know, it's harder to make a lot of money when you're older and you can't, you're, you're tired and you can't work as hard. Um, and then also the idea of compound interest, you know, saving something in your twenties, um, definitely has the most impact, um, that you could possibly have in your fifties and sixties. So it's just, and I'm not knocking it, you know, life is not just for some folks, it is not just about saving and thinking about a rainy day and thinking about the future. But the reality is, is that it costs money to stay healthy. <laughs> it costs, it costs money to keep a roof over your head. And, you know, in, in your later years, it becomes much more difficult for you to solve problems. So that's what I would encourage, uh, folks in the younger generation, obviously don't go to the extreme, um, if you don't want to, but just think about these things, you know, and, you know, the solution isn't just on Instagram and isn't on, uh, the number of folks that you'd probably know are even more than me. I know 40 year olds who are quitting their jobs and trying to become Instagram influencers as well. So this isn't just a knock on the younger generation. I think you're seeing this also in folks in my generation, they're in their late thirties, early forties, fifties, also kind of making these knee jerk reactions as a result of COVID and kind of maybe some of the psychological challenges that that presented in terms of offering a new perspective on life. Well, and that's, that's kind of what I'm also seeing as well, like exactly what you said, but I'm, I'm seeing it work for a lot of people. You know what I mean? And I think that's what's more surprising to me. Like, I didn't realize there was so much internet money to be made. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the reality, when you study the numbers, it's the same as the rest of the economy, right? It's a small percentage of people making the lion's share of the money, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's it's definitely created a new economy. I'm not going to disagree with that. Um, And money is rotating into it. But the thing that's challenging is that it's just like, it's just like, you know, we talk about this with entrepreneurship. It's the cool thing that everyone wants to do until they do it for three or four years and realize how hard the shit is. You know what I mean? Like, and it's not just, you know, getting on jets and, 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 going to traveling to islands, it is a lot of hard work um, if you want to be successful, right? And I think specifically the shift that's happened in the VC world where everybody's just not getting blank checks and, and getting loose money because the old motto of growing a business was, okay, let's just get the valuation up. Let's throw a bunch of money at this thing, build, build a model and then sell it to the next guy can't do that anymore. So I think there's also a correction, correction happening economically that I'm, I'm here for, which is those who work, go back to the old school methodology of actually building things that matter, taking an understanding that there's a process to wealth building and business building are going to really succeed. Um, and there's also an opportunity for the folks that were kind of funded or startups in this past world who kind of went through that process and had easy money now that it's tight to kind of reinvent yourself. Because I think having this skill set um, bodes well for a future that that the resources within the world are only getting um, getting used up more and more. So it's like, to figure these things out, it's, it's actually a very exciting time. Uh, to be uh, be alive, I believe. Um, and like you said about folks who are really spending, my concern is this, is I don't see any increase in financial literacy um, happening 
it's it's a lot of people are living on credit card debt that that accrues at twenty percent, twenty five percent interest. And when you're eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old, you can get credit cards. You know what I mean? Like, and that is what I see more and more happening. Is I'm concerned that when these these folks get to thirty and they're looking at thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars in credit card debt and not a reliable means to pay down that debt. We're just continuing the cycle of why there is only a 3% population of this country that are millionaires and only, you know, the 1%, why 1% controls most of the resources in the world. So we've got to answer these questions and we can't just complain about the rich. You also have to look in the mirror and adjust your behavior to get to where you're trying to go versus just wanting to be where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. So well said. So well said. Well, um, I think that kind of brings us to, uh, to a winding down point, right? Yeah. I think we had a, a f- quite a few good topics here. Um, again, um, prayers up for, for Bronny James, hopefully, uh, gets a smooth full recovery and we get to see him on the basketball court. I know for one, I was really excited to see, we didn't get to see this in real time, like a legacy story happened in real time while while LeBron's still in the NBA. I was really curious to see this whole story play out. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we get to see it. Yeah, absolutely. A prayers up for Bronny, and as always, stay moving. Be you. You Once we get on up